Welcome to Season 2 of the Sales Competition Show, where we share the latest sales performance research, insights, and solutions through in-depth discussions with industry experts. Our goal for Season 2 is to enable our listeners to make smarter decisions based on real-world data and behavioral psychology. Join us for more holistic conversations and discussion about sales compensation and sales force effectiveness that will improve the lives and careers of both current and future sales comp leaders. I'm your host, Nabil Alazam. Today's guest is Bethany Rucker, a sales operations leader with over 15 years of experience, most recently at Microsoft as the Director of Sales Ops. Bethany and I discussed her empathetic, people-first approach to leading high-performing teams, DEI and sales compensation, and how she applies principles of psychology and personal development to her work. Join us as we delve into the world of sales compensation and operations both now and in the future. You're in for a great discussion and one that I thoroughly enjoyed. Bethany, thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to be on the show. Happy to be here, Nabil. Good to see you. So, you know, I ask this for all the guests that are on the show that work in the sales operations and sales compensation space. It's a unique career. You don't wake up as a child thinking, I want to be in this space, but it's always interesting hearing the stories of how people got to where they are. And so we'd love to hear your background and and what got you into this field? When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a race car driver. So this is very, very different from that. Can be fast-paced at times, but very, very different. I think about that old monster commercial from the 90s. You know, nobody ever says I want to be an XYZ when I grow up. And so I think about that when I reflect upon my journey. Growing up, I was a musician and flutist. I played in bands and orchestras growing up, took it very seriously. Actually, my first grad degree is in music history from Rice. And so really enjoyed that and was really passionate about it. But I came to a point where I wanted to say, hey, what else can I do with my career? What else can I grow and explore? What other talents do I have? Shortly after September 11th, I took a temp assignment, running a reception desk at a wealth management firm. I stayed there and learned a lot about the basics of business, how to read a balance sheet, how to read an income statement, how the capital markets work. Ultimately, I got my MBA. I started doing analyst jobs. And that's when I really discovered compensation and incentives. And I just appreciate it so much because it It's really the lifeline of how revenue is generated. An old mentor of mine said, you either serve the customer or you serve somebody who serves the customer. And so, you know, there's been periods of time in my career where I've been a seller. My husband is a sales professional. You know, I have a lot of good friends in my network that are sales professionals as well. And I just think it's so important to enable them and support them and give them the right incentives that they need to do what the enterprise needs them to do. I love that. At the end of the day, it's all about delivering value to the customer and you're either doing so the sales side or you're doing so, you know, by delivering the product or supporting the sales professionals that are executing there. You know, kind of having felt that firsthand and working in organizations where you had the business understanding, the context, shifting over into role of sales operations or, you know, sales compensation. I'm curious that first jump into that role, what were some of the biggest learnings and biggest surprises that you felt? Oh, goodness. Well, I think the connection that I made was just kind of that confluence of data plus a little psychological element and how that was sometimes an art and sometimes a science. And so really understanding what those drivers were to make people do things and understand how to make clean drivers. There's ways to really motivate the behavior that you want. Sometimes that's clear and the data is clear and sometimes it's messy and the data is messy. And so it is, you know, I think a lot of sales compensation professionals have that balance, right? Of, okay, I want to drive 
traffic toward this product? How do I do it? And especially if it's a new product, you know, it makes it so tricky to understand the metrics and drivers. So I think when I first came into the sales comp profession, that was a little bit tricky for me just to determine, okay, what can we truly know? And what's a little squishy? You know, what do we need a few iterations on figuring things out? What can be known and what can be inferred? And it's interesting because you've done this across and your experience across, you know, these large household name organizations yeah. that are in very different industries, right? Whether it's telecom, Absolutely. you know, financial services, and all the way now to, you know, Microsoft, where it's mm-hmm. like tech, very different type of sales models across the book. I guess what across the journey, what would you say is kind of in the different learnings that you've seen? You definitely get what you measure, Nabil. And I think, you know, if there's, you get what you measure and you get what you communicate as, you know, and those three organizations that I've been a part of, in banking, in telecom, in technology, they've gone through a lot of changes over the past 10 years. And so understanding where those inflection points hit and understanding how to drive that change, how to communicate that change, the change might not even be emanating from you, right? The change might be emanating from, you know, an enterprise strategy that you've got to go execute. But if you can articulate that strategy, and then if you can create those metrics to support that strategy, and then make sure that people understand how those metrics are defined. One of the things, it's not necessarily a recent lesson, it's a recurring lesson, is that in order to build trust with your sales organization, they actually need to know how those metrics are defined. And they could be ever-changing based on the needs of the business. And so having that level of clarity, I think is just so important. I think a lot of sales compensation professionals make the mistake of, well, if I'm too transparent, people are just going to game the system. Well, that might well be. And, you know, there's always a place for guardrails and governance, but also that transparency, that clarity goes a long way to building trust with your sales organization. And so if you say, hey, when you're selling this product, we're going to include these elements, but not these elements for this particular reason, you got to trust that your sales, your field sales organization, are a bunch of grown-ups and they know what to do and they're going to fall in line with the enterprise. So those are just some top of the top of the head thoughts. No, I hope so. I mean, that's a very interesting statement. I think there's an element of the transparency will lead to a lot of better outcomes. We can talk about that, but I think the point yeah. on trust, I think there's mm-hmm. an element of you have to have trust. There's certainly an element of inspection, right? That's part of the governance yes, process. Absolutely. And so we'd love to hear kind of like your perspective on how do you provide that trust but ensure that at the end of the day the customer is being served correctly. And that's so important. And, you know, again, think of the customers as the sales field and then ultimately, you know, sort of the end users. But I think you've got to understand where the risks are and the trade-offs, right, Nabil? So I think about, hey, we're going to grow this new product. We've never had a history with it before. And so we're going to track what we think is right. And we're going to inspect along the way, you know, quarterly, monthly, you know, weekly as needed to see how that's progressing and then to be able to check in. And I think, you know, there's varying ways of checking in. There's checking in to see, you know, if somebody's blowing it out of the water on attainment, you know that something's going on. Either the target was set too low or there there might be some funny behavior going on. You know whether or not the enterprise goal is actually being met, that revenue goal that budgets and finance are driving toward, whether or not that's going well or not well, you can kind of inspect for that. I think also being able to build a relationship of trust with the sales organization is very, very important. I mean, that's a great listening system to have. And people will tell you if you are a trusted partner, people will tell you. People will tell you what's wrong. People will tell you how they're naming. And so you can you know, allow that 
qualitative interaction to really inform what you're seeing in the data. So it's that combination. I agree. And you know, you touched on something that's in our past discussions we've touched on, which is yeah. this element of, especially at an organization, you know, as large as Microsoft and that enterprise level, we set targets and business strategy at the very mm-hmm. top. Yeah. And then you think about your point, the journey as it makes its way through the business and how it resonates. So I'm curious to get, a, to get your perspective on that and maybe dig deeper throughout the yeah. journey. And that journey is so important, right? Because sometimes, you know, that game of telephone doesn't make it all the way down and people don't know what's going on. People don't know what's happening. And conversely, that field chatter doesn't make its all make its way all the way back up effectively in order to, you know, have the strategy adjusted or iterated as need be. Or, you know, people's ears are plugged on either side of that journey. And so that's really important. I think about it in two ways, Nabil. I think about it as far as data is concerned because the way you measure finance data or, you know, sort of the gap requirements that an organization may have is very different than how you may calculate comp. And so that tension is always going to be there. So what you report to the street may not represent the exact numbers that you're seeing from a revenue perspective or sort of the scorecard, as it were, items that you want to drive or the principled items that you want to drive. And so you have to be real articulate and understand where those differences lie. So I think that's number one sort of from a data perspective. Number two, again, and you know, as I mentioned, lots of change going on in all industries. And so when those inflection points happen, that top track, that top line really needs to be clear from leadership. And the whys need to be really clear that from the sales operations organization is translating down to the field sales operation. The field sales organization needs to be just hyper clear so people know why this is happening. And I would just say, you know, to my peers out there and even to myself, you know, don't never be afraid to ask why. And I think that's so important so that people can get to the root cause of what's driving these changes. A little while ago, I did this exercise called the five wise exercise. And I'm kind of taking a little detour here just to kind of broader sort of management leadership. But, you know, we were in a session where we stated a truth about ourselves and then asked why five times, five times. And that really got to the heart of some of the motivations and the drivers for us personally. And in parallel, I think that needs to happen in a business scenario. So often we're afraid of stepping on toes or afraid to tell the truth or afraid to reveal weakness or vulnerability in the system or in the organization or in the business or with a product. Maybe a product isn't working as it should. That's driving some anomalies within the comp structure. And so we really need to, again, as sales compensation professionals, be able to ask why and be brave enough to ask why. Yeah, 100%. I think it's the connectivity across all the different systems, the teams, the pieces that need to cohesively work together to get to that outcome. And if there's not an alignment on the underlying principles, but rather the expected outcome, it's very easy to have a different execution approach, right? And so that's kind of an element of, I think your point is extremely valid. Like it's spot on when you think about large enterprise, the definition of an outcome to the street is very different than the tactical definition because it may take hundreds of people to Mm -hmm. accomplish that one metric 
that mm-hmm. one outcome. And so, yeah, you really have to kind of uncover the connectivity and the connectivity tissue. Yeah, when people see how they themselves, as they show up, as they make those calls, as they engage those decision makers, as they close that business, if they can clearly see, hey, this is laddering up to this. Hey, we want to be number one in cloud. I can do it by reaching out to these companies, offering these products, offering this suite of solutions. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And so I just, I would say we as leaders, and we're often caught in the middle, right? Sales compensation is often caught in the middle. Sales operations is often caught in the middle. But if we can provide that clarity both up and down, oh my gosh, how powerful is that? So, I mean, it's not easy. It's an amazing goal. And I think it's critical to do. It's not easy because I would say the complexity of the data pipelines and the data that we're working with. And the fact that, especially at the scale of the organization we're talking about, it's like it spans so many different people. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, is there a framework that you use in your teams or that, that you've experienced that helps streamline this? And I think it's so tricky when you think about the different data streams that you're working with, right? So it's kind of like, you know, all these different canvases and you're trying to like collage them together. You've got the HR data coming from one aspect and one perspective, got the revenue data coming from one aspect and one perspective, and maybe, you know, some product data coming from yet another perspective. I think a lot of times I come from a very simple point of view. I tease everybody and I say, hey, I went to public school. I mostly went to public school. I like to keep it simple. And so I think one of the things that I think we need to remember as sales comp professionals is you don't have to be so cute with it. You can keep it simple. You can keep the main thing, the main thing. So you've got this whole Thanksgiving dinner of data. You've got all of these meats and side dishes. If you're in my house, you don't just have the turkey. You also have the roast beef and the ham and such because I love Thanksgiving. You've got the side dishes, a plethora of side dishes, and then you've got the pies and the desserts and all of those things. That is a beautiful selection of things to eat. But if you eat all of it, you're going to wake up you know, two days later feeling horrible. And so that's the thing. When we think about data, we've got to be so precise in what we actually need. And coming from a psychology perspective, right? We all took Psych 101. The human brain can only hold together three to five ideas at a time. Some of us are better at it. Some of us are holding two and a half ideas at a time. But when we think about all of this data feed and all of these data sources, We know that we live in an incredible time where there's so much technology and so much information available to us, but we really need to apply that critical thinking, that professional judgment to say, hey, I don't need all this stuff. This is going to be my proxy for revenue. This is going to be my proxy for product performance. This is going to be my proxy for, you know, who's sitting in what chair at what time. Know how it's defined. Know its pitfalls and risks so that you can address them. But hopefully you're following the 80-20 rule. Your data is 80% reliable, and then you go after those 20% of anomalies. But I think a lot of people feel really powerful in having all of these things at their disposal, but haven't taken the time to say, this is what I really need. This is the reliable piece of data for me that I can then go action on, go build a comp plan, go you know set quota on this, what have you. But that prioritization of this is the most important data to me, that's a really important principle that I think a lot of us need to hold. Especially given the, in a large organization, the number of different metrics and types of metrics that we're measuring, being able to dissect it and, bre- and break it apart. Interesting because you're taking this, you know, very much, again, enterprise level decision targets and then breaking it down through the funnel down to that, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, human being and mm-hmm. you know, getting them to understand and it's their livelihood, their number. So like 
as we kind of dive further into this journey. So you kind of address the data piece. There's an understanding of the data, how it translates into what we're measuring, how we're tracking. I guess how how do you think about that final leg, that delivery yeah. of the yeah. that number, the target, the definition to the seller themselves? Yeah. And I think, you know, again, that transparency is everything. So how did we come to this number? How did we distribute it this way? Um, you know, those are the kinds of questions that need to be addressed in order to build that seller trust. I would say that if you are ever in a scenario where it is all top down or all bottoms up, you're doing it wrong. And so I think sort of that top down piece really does absorb all of the enterprise thinking and where, you know, the company needs to go you know, over the you know mid and long term. But that granular account level, product level, you know, data that can't be substituted. And right now, I think that's something where we can outsmart AI, for example. And so that combination of, hey, these are the big chunky goals, uh, sales managers, you know what the environment out there is. You know that there's no free lunch in quota. There's no free lunch in target setting. You've got to balance that out so that the company can can meet their organizational goals. But how you balance it is up to you. You need to stick with it. You need to be committed to it. But how you balance it out is up to you. And so there are things that the folks on the ground are, are going to see that we in operations, folks in leadership are not going to see. We need to trust their judgment. Until we have all the data, there's still going to be some element of human oversight or input. I think what's interesting, again, you think about going from that enterprise top level number mm-hmm. and then working your way down. You know, I love this aspect of providing that transparency into how that number is generated. And so there's definitely a few elements of kind of back to that inspect or trust and yeah. the, the trust versus the kind of inspecting for issues. So now, okay, we give this framework of this is how we're going to set up this quota and how, you know, numbers from previous years feed into the quota setting methodology and how the qualitative input from managers will impact the numbers plus or minus X percent within thresholds, et cetera, et cetera. So by this transparency, how are we measuring to see or inspecting to Mm -hmm. see if rep behavior for adjusting kind of the way that they manage deal pipeline in Q4 Mm -hmm. so that it can impact quota setting, for example, is not adverse to the customer outcome and and, and the business outcome. So I'm curious. Absolutely. And that's where your terms and conditions come in. And that's where, you know, you get real nitty gritty and you get real honest with, you know, the way that people can game the system for their own benefit. So things like bluebird policies, right? So kind of big windfalls that somebody didn't earn, that's got to be called out. Uh, Things like How are you going to treat um, multi-year deals that are paid all at once? Thinking about all of those unique aspects of deal flow. And then again, I just say um, this is where sales operations and sales leadership need to meet. And that's why that trusted relationship needs to be there because we're all on the same team. And for the longevity of the organization, right, things need to be right. Things need to be clean. And just thinking about, okay, five years from now, people are doing deals like this and they're gaming the system and they're, you know, sandbagging and and you're waiting till the final quarter of the year, final quarter of fiscal in order to land these, what's that going to do for us? What's that going to do for us operationally? What's that going to do for us as we report numbers to the street? What's that going to do for us as far as folks who want to play by the rules and are getting messed over for doing it? And so, again, I don't think sales operations does this in a vacuum. I think we do this in partnership with finance. I think we do this in partnership, of course, with sales leadership. We do this in partnership you know, with all uh, the very, organization, very organizations that we touch across the system. 
And so that's T's and C's, those terms and conditions, you know, instead of compensation document, what have you, need to be clear. I, I noticed that sometimes those are written with a fair amount of opacity in order to kind of um, be a little more flexible or to guard against, you know, people sort of adhering to the letter of the law. But I just think, you know, you get so much from transparency. You can't say you didn't know. You, you, you put your click on the DocuSign, you read it. We used it in eighth grade English. We made it as clear as we could. And this is what the structure is. So yeah. That's a very valid point. So you're, you're effectively baking in to the quota setting framework that it mm-hmm. is not just the number that's set at the beginning of the year. Rather, this is the framework that we use to set it. And so therefore, yeah. if the framework is no longer valid, yeah. your number, mm-hmm. then the number that we gave you is not valid. And therefore, it gives us the right to adjust uh, accordingly yeah. because it didn't meet the T's and C's that yeah. were set out. And I think, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Like you have to have that be very, very crystal clear. Otherwise, it now creates a very distracting and negative experience for the seller. We don't want people like with a glass at the instead of competition document. We want them out there selling. And so that's the most important thing I think to think about is just making things clear so people feel free to go sell, feel free to go do what they need to do. I will say in the governance process, there needs to be room for empathy. And so, you know, I big on empathy. Empathetic leadership is something that's very important to me. And there needs to be a clear process for addressing anomalies or exceptions. People do need to have their day in court, both emotionally, so kind of that empathetic piece, and both structurally. So how are you going to organize your governance process when there is an anomaly, there's a bankruptcy, or a product was promised by engineering and it didn't work out? What are those structures going to be? And make them clear and as matrixed as possible so that folks know what they need to do and they feel supported even in a sticky situation. Yeah, exactly. Because I think, I mean, in that situation, we're kind of protecting the downside risk of losing what could be a great performer impacted or conversely. I mean, I guess you can argue the other way of something that is net new in terms of not having been captured in our T's and C's, but something that we may need to step in and do that override. And and obviously there's the empathetic element there and and recognizing that. There's always, you have to do what's right by the business. Absolutely. Or you're not there anymore. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I think like there's an interesting element here again for like quota is such a critical part of Mm -hmm. the motivational element, the performance management, obviously of sales professionals. And I think, you know, you said something earlier around the teaming and that you need to work together with sales leadership because ultimately it is true. How do they measure performance of their sales team if it Mm -hmm. isn't against quota? Yeah. And therefore setting the right quotas across the sales organization is a paramount objective and and goal. And not just at the senior level, right? Not at the most senior level where, of course, we need to make sure that we're deploying quota in a way that maximizes our potential to achieve the outcome. But even within a single, you know, manager's region, kind of the lowest level of management, you want to make sure that they're thinking about it in a way that they're being equitable and distributing quota in a way where they can truly measure effective performance across 
how do you do that? You know, that's Absolutely. a difficult part. And that's really important. And I think, you know, sort of that no favored child kind of thing. I mean, it kind of sparks, right? I think we were talking about before, just kind of the DEI element there and just making sure that everybody's balanced, you know, everybody kind of has the right balance in the organization. And I would say, you know, that's where sort of those quantitative tools are really important. I think sort of the basis of those quantitative tools and then sort of the governance around what you can change and what you can't change. Because at that level of granularity, of course, we know statistically there's more variability and there's more opportunity for one seller to be favored over another or one territory to be favored over another. And so that's when I think that coaching of the sales leadership, both you know, sort of leadership and kind of first line of, hey, we need to be watching for these things. We need to be watching for equity. And that balance always needs to be there. And so we don't want to favor people who have been there longer or not longer. We don't want to favor from a gender perspective or you know a nationality or a race perspective. We really want to make sure that, hey, those principles are trickling down. And if an adjustment needs to be made, territory over territory, account over account, let's make sure that there's a good reason for doing so, not just I don't know if I can hit my number. That's not good enough. And so there really needs to be a clear approach to how those adjustments are made. And I agree. I think like, as we discussed kind of in our previous discussion, I think there's an yeah. element of, it's kind of thinking about it in like three layers because it is so critical that we're equitable and that there's this element of making sure we're, we're being fair in terms of opportunity. It benefits the business. Like at the end of the day, if we're Absolutely. not doing that, we're actually setting ourselves up to not measure performance appropriately. And we're not treating the performer like the top performers the way that we should and the bottom performers the way we should. And so the way, you know, think about it as like kind of that first layer, which is, okay, we're going to take that top line number and Mm -hmm. then we're going to use the bottom build up to distribute that number. And that very first layer, I think this is kind of where as the measurement of equity sits within the quota and sales operations organization, because at the end of the day, we are the ones that are kind of designing and building that framework of how it gets distributed. That part to to me seems a bit more within your control to Mm -hmm. test and measure and make sure it's equitable. Like versus, I would Mm -hmm. say downstream, the further you go down to the second layer is now we roll out and I'm kind of paraphrasing exactly what you said, you know, there's an element of like the bottom of build up. Okay, we can test the measure equity there. Second layer is the management distributions, the sales manager Mm -hmm. distributions across their team and the balancing. That one becomes a little bit harder. It's not a set framework. There's a little yeah. bit of it becomes way there. more artistic. Yes, yep. more artistic. Exactly. And so now it's you know think about measuring equity there becomes a little bit harder. And then downstream even further is now we set the quotas. They're rolled out. To your point, there's exceptions that come up, and that to me is the most squishy because it's not even a framework that you know we can compare at any point in time. And so I'm curious how you think about kind of yeah. measuring. You know, yeah, and I think I'm going to be able to my time on an incentive compensation analytics team. And there were a ton of cuts of data by geography, by product, what have you. And we were all measuring for a normalized distribution of performance of attainment under certain conditions. And I think as we pay more attention to DEI, that cut of data, that review is sort of that blend between HR analytics and sales operations analytics and sort of taking the risk, taking the chance of saying, I see that this geo is doing fine. I see that, you know, product sales team is doing fine. But if I cut below and if I see who's blowing out their targets and if I see that maybe certain kind of people are always doing great and certain other folks are not, I don't want to take that necessarily as face value that it's unfair, but I want to go back to my five whys. 
I want to ask why. And I want to ask why a lot. And I want to say, hey, what are we doing from, you know, a coaching and training standpoint? What are we doing from a target assignment standpoint? Like maybe there's some, I'm a little squishy on really the true meaning of unconscious bias, but perhaps, you know, that's an element of unconscious bias that's hidden there. But I think we need to have the bravery. And that's where, again, extending hands across departments, across silos, across organizations, you know, sales operations, going to HR analytics, saying, hey, can we partner to make sure that the comp plan that we intend to be fair truly is fair? And so that's very meaningful. I mean, it's fun because it's not necessarily target setting a problem. You're right. Yeah. No, no, no. no. All yeah. other kinds of issues of, yeah. of enabling this, this individual. And, and you know, what's interesting is there are ways to think about kind of testing for that, right? So if we think about and I really like the kind of this concept, of like the five whys and really digging in yeah. and uncovering, you know, the lessons learned from a five-year-old, right? It's like, you know, take that and, and kind of run with it. Oh my but- gosh, I have a six-year-old, I got a detour. I've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old and they are forever asking me why. And I like, anytime I get irritated, I'm like, nope, you're protecting their future curiosity. Exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. curiosity is key. And I think we can't lose track of it. So I think, look, you know, stepping back into this situation, this hypothetical situation where we notice there's a pattern a pattern mm-hmm. that we obviously want to uncover the reason, you know, yes. you don't want to just jump in and act without un- uncovering the problem because that's, that's right. more than half just, of the, it just the solution. flags further inspection. You know, it's interesting in one way we can take a look at, and this is kind of where if we think about how we think, you know, setting up the data and the framework for setting quotas is our quota setting methodology. If it's consistent, we have this framework. Is it consistent that geography or mm-hmm. that territory agnostic of who is there has we have been able to set quotas that are reasonable over many years and breaking that out relative yeah. to the actual performance when a seller is in the seat. And I think this becomes a, the larger the organization, the more data that you have, mm-hmm. the more that we can you know, start to have an insight that's meaningful to uncover this. I think ultimately, and this kind of goes back from the top down to the bottom, is the analytics and the quota setting framework that we apply there, I think there's an element of, you know, we can use the data to really test and validate and we have enough end size because there's enough territories and an organization and wow. large enterprises with thousands of sellers. It's very clear that we can use some sort of analytics to determine. Not perfectly because it, the narrower and narrower the problem is, the less like we're going to have enough statistical confidence. Yeah, the beauty is the vast landscape in the sea of data. The only thing is, you know, you want to think about sort of reversion to the mean kind of principles and just the fact that okay, you have a greater population, that means you're going to have greater variability. And so when you see those spikes, when you see those anomalies, like, okay, what does that mean? Is that a normal statistic anomaly? You know, is that a normal element of the business? Is that somebody just having a bad year? Or is it something that, you know, deserves further inspection? And that's just professional judgment. So, and I think there's an element of, at that level, we have that data. I think this middle piece of like doing the adjustments, curious, it's like, you almost are measuring at a manager level. You have to measure, okay, when this manager makes adjustments, is there, are they effective? How effective are they in mm-hmm. making the adjustments and how, you know, well did their adjustments actually impact our distribution of quota? And that's hard to measure because now, you know, effectively, like you're having to retain all that data in a structured format and go back and measure and, and kind of this time series analysis of over many years. And so, I'm curious. I, I, I think it can even be done maybe all quarter over quarter, maybe imperfectly, but okay. quarter over quarter. And it depends on what your adjustment cadence is, right? But if you start from a precise point, so my insight is into a situation where we were leveraging machine learning to do an initial passive distribution. 
And then comparing that sort of quantitative distribution with sort of those qualitative elements and adjustments, and then piecing it together over time and checking, you know, quarterly, okay, so we started here, but you adjusted there. And then we back into what the attainment is, and however you want to do it. Is the attainment that much different from what it would initially be a level of granularity that makes sense? So at the territory level or, you know, at the sales manager level, what have you. And so being able to be able to do that analysis over time and prioritizing it, frankly, can help uh, reveal those issues. So is there greater reliance needed on sort of the quantitative system that you put together? Does that system need inspection? Or is it doing just fine and, you know, sort of the resistance and, you know, the amount of changes that take place within governance, are those changes just noise? Well, yeah. No, I mean, I think it is an important topic because effectively, as I said, it's, you know, both the empathetic aspect of yeah. the human being that's ultimately, their, you know, the livelihood of the sales professional is based off, ultimately off of the targets that we set for them. Yeah. And then the other side is what's good for the business is that the whole culture behind Incentive compensation is pay for performance. And we want to pay top Mm -hmm. performers very well and bottom performers not as much, you know, kind of that reverse dog. Or thirdly, somebody that I used to work with used to say food stamps and Ferraris. But yes. Ferraris, yes. yes. But always, what do you want 100% to look like? What are you getting 100%? And yes, we've got, you know, the multipliers and we've got the pay line structured in a certain way. But what do you want 100% to look like? If somebody's hitting it dead on, what kinds of enterprise things, uh, things that help the enterprise, what are they driving? So I think that's very important to be real thoughtful about. And then, yeah, I mean, I think as as time progresses, you also want to understand how broad or how skinny you want your curve to be. So is it like, this is right here in the middle is where we want everybody to perform, or this is a new risky product and we know that we're going to have wide variability and we're kind of testing it out to see what it looks like. And so those are just other things I think that folks need to have in their toolkit. No, I agree. And so just kind of stepping back and, and thinking about, you know, we try to get this right. We obviously, it's mission critical of business, but maybe it's a new product launch. Maybe there's something that there's a delay in a in what we thought was going to be a you know, seamless merger or an acquisition. And all of a sudden, so now these things that, kind of are a little bit out of our control, or it's something where there's fundamental mistake in the framework that we used, whatever it might be. So we set quotas, we do our best because the mm-hmm. cost consequences of not doing that are, are large, but there's a mistake made, or maybe there's an element of um, you know, a course correction is required. So what's interesting to me is the cost of the mistake, especially like, you know, my mind is the term, a bad compliment hits you twice, mm-hmm. kind of the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. And when I say bad compliment, arguably in this sense, like if you miss set targets, it's effectively, it actually impacts you in the year that you set it. If you underset quotas and now we have way overperforming in terms of against budget because Mm -hmm. reps are blowing their quotas out of the water and and yet we didn't actually hit our business target. So now we're not only paying more that year, but then the consequence in the following year, now this expectation of where the quota should be relative to where it should have been. And now we're having or the outcome. And again, I just think that comes back to communication. I think there's a lot of elements there. I think about a school teacher friend of mine saying, you know, it's better for you if you're strict at the beginning of the year and lenient at the end of the year. And I think that applies, you know, to quota setting and sales operations as well. And so, you know, better to set that target. And I know my sales friends are going to wince at me for this. Better to set that target too high at the beginning of the year and then offer relief, some exceptions there, than to blow it out of the water and your enterprise doesn't get their goal. You're spending too much on comp. And then 
third. I think it's third. You have unrealistic expectations for the following year. And so that's hard pill to swallow because that's a tricky conversation to happen earlier in the year and everybody's hair is on fire and I can't do this. And well, maybe you can. And if not, let's put together a framework for addressing it as the year progresses. And that's number one. But I think also that communication piece and that vulnerability and that ability to say, hey, this is new to us. We're learning. This is a very important product offering. And so we've got to put it out there. We've got to be competitive. We've got to disrupt. But also, we made a mistake. We set it too low. We didn't know that it was going to be this awesome. I hope you enjoy it. I would say we're going to true it up for next year. I don't think it's ever a good thing to apply that true up within a year. I think that erodes a lot of confidence. But you know, just setting the stage of, yeah, yeah, it was pretty rich this year. Things are going to change. Within the year, you're always better off doing the relief. I agree. It's a much more and people shouldn't count on it. And that's the other that's, thing. That's right? the other thing, exactly. So then yeah. you start to lean yeah. a little bit too much yeah. there. And then if the problem is, is now the expectation is the quota is not really the quota. It's mm-hmm. the quota until there's a relief. And yeah. so I'm just yeah. banking on on the, my peers not performing. And so, yeah, there's always about, and this is why there's a price to pay if we don't yeah. get it right. And that's why it's mm-hmm. such critical, you know, back to the kind of the earlier point of like the translation that's from that enterprise level yeah. target down to the sellers. It's such a critical part of sales performance. And I would say, you know, this kind of leads me down just kind of a little bit of a path here and just to the point of new product offerings, right? We want to make sure that we're influencing a culture of learning and education about products or about principles or whatever we're comping on so that folks know they're not just commission junkies. They're not just coin-operated machines, but they're part of, okay, this is why this is important. This is what this product can offer somebody. This is how I can give and help and serve rather than give me my money for selling this thing. And so I think that's an important distinction to make as well. That's not, you know, another old mentor of mine said, that's not our fault, but it is our problem. I think the problem of a lot of uh, sales operations professionals is to be able to influence that culture of this is why this is important. This is why business-wise, this is meaningful. This is the impact and the opportunity that folks can have by using this product. And I would say, again, you know, just thinking cross-functionally. So those product managers, those technology managers, those research managers that are at the forefront of a lot of these things, even before they go into market, let's make that connection between the sales operations team. Let's make that connection with the sales leadership team as well. 100%. I mean, yeah, I think they're the understanding, again, it's the why Always goes a long way in terms of start with one. Yeah. And so you shared a lot of like great, you know, lessons and, you know, pointers to think about in your experience and owning this critical process in terms of quota setting and actually taking, again, that number from enterprise down to the seller. You know, what would you say are some of the other lessons and things that you'd like to share with other sales comp professionals? I would say that coaching element is really important. I think back, and this is not something I'm proud of. I think back to it. And I think we want to assume that everybody around us are intelligent people and they read the documents and they do what they're supposed to do and they align their incentives and their priorities with that. But I would just say, make room for that education piece, make room to clarify, make room to coach. And, you know, if somebody's new to the workforce or new to your organization and your way of doing things, just going back to that diversity, equity, inclusion piece that we had talked about, that's a mechanism for making sure that the comp plan is fair because it's understood. That's kind of a vulnerable thing. 
And then I would say, I'm just going to beat the drum on this, just building that trusted community, you know, across functional lines. And, you know, if you think somebody doesn't have an impact on your work, they probably do. Because I feel like all roads lead to compensation. Again, I've heard, uh, you know, compensation uh, referred as data sewage treatment. We get data from everywhere. We combine it the best we can. Again, going back to, you know, what's the most important data points to you? And then we push it out in order to motivate folks and ultimately provide families. 100%. I think there's, it's a great way to say it's at the end of the day, sales comp is that final lever and it brings together all the business strategy, the data, the flow. I think that part, the education and the communicate, like understanding of the plan, I think we sometimes communicate the metrics and we do a great job of kind of explaining how the payout mechanics of a plan works, but we'll see, and and we, you know, we've seen this firsthand where the sellers will sometimes not understand the crediting attributes Mm -hmm. of the plan and the mechanics of when a deal has this attribute, it's Mm going to funnel into this bucket versus this bucket. Yeah, absolutely. That's an element of like, you know, again, the more complex the sale, the more complexity there is in the product mix that you have and the variety of different channels, mm-hmm. the more that we need to make sure we are providing that clarity to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And that brings me back to a scenario where I had an encounter with an education seller. And so a lot of times organizations will sort of supplement the organization sales process in order to provide value to universities, in order to provide value to K through 12 schools. And so when you sell it in this channel and it's subsidized in a way, it's different than when you're selling it kind of top to bottom and that whole margin is still intact. And so just distinctions like that, as you review the comp plan and how products or you know, goals are comped can be oh so important. The other thing that I forgot to mention, Nabil, is just... As you go through, or as I go through my sales processes, you know, my quota setting processes, my operations processes, you know, there's a lot of intensity. There's intensity because there's frequently a short amount of time between the time that you get the updated data and you need to roll it out to the field. And so there's that period of, hey, got to get these adjustments made, got to explain what this means, got to get people trained on the process, got to make sure that the process works, got to make sure that the governance is applied in the right way. But after that, everybody's so burnt out and spent that there's not enough time to reflect, learn the lessons, implement the lessons for next time. And so I would say, you know, I think we're in an interesting period in business where there's a fair amount of contraction going on. And I think one of the best investments that a leader can make is providing that space for people to think and to ideate and to learn and then ultimately to apply those lessons that they've learned from the last business cycle. I feel like this is an element where it always feels like in those key periods that year over year transition, everything's on fire. You're sprinting to that finish. And it's a hard motion to do where to say, we actually do need to spend the time to reflect. And that is part of the process and improve it for next year. And it's not just improve it within your team and your operation. Like you're within, it might be something that we need to reflect in the immediate term so that we can communicate to the rest of the organization or upstream functions on mm-hmm. feedback that are a little bit out of our control to implement. So we need to give yeah. them the time and the runway to fix. But I really think there's, it's such a, again, quotas and that rollout to the organization is such a key part of getting it right. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your feedback and, you know, providing that context to others. And 
this is a domain, it's a field and a profession where learning from peers and having, you know, kind of that apprenticeship model is so critical to learning. And so, you know, curious, what have you found as some of the best resources for you in your journey that you think might be helpful for others that are listening to the show today? There's definitely a lot of resources as far as sales compensation. I think there's a few really good books out there. You can go to Amazon and search, you know, sales compensation and and bring those up. I think, you know, just having that perspective on staying tight with the perspective of your enterprise and knowing what they're going after. So it's reading those financial statements, those annual reports, understanding, you know, what the organization is trying to drive. You know, if you're in a private company, then take your friend out to coffee who works on the other side of the house and is seeing things come down the pipe and really understanding what's coming. I think just applying your knowledge of human behavior. What is it going to drive? Where are those pitfalls going to be? What are those reactions going to be? Really thinking analytically about people, which may sound you know kind of contradictory, but that analytical thinking about people and their responses and their behavior, I think goes a long way to driving that performance and, and being an effective professional. No, I agree. And I think the element of, you, know, you mentioned like the psych 101, I think there's an element of like, sometimes I found that kind of stepping back and thinking about the empathetic way to do it, what resources and skill sets that we can learn more about the human side of what we do, because at the end of the day, it is ultimately business of, yeah, the customers are the sales organization that are then serving our customers. And, you know, how to best enable them, we have to think about that human element. You know, there's a lot of good resources out there as well. You know, I think about Strength Finder. I'm a big Strength Finder person, yeah. um, strength-based leadership. I feel like it's more effective and has a greater multiplier effect to, to shore up your strengths than to obsess over your weaknesses. And so that old Strength Finder 2.0, I think, understanding what your strengths are, identifying them in others, working together to build that beautiful blend together, I think is is really important. But, you know, empathy in the workplace is hopefully it's not just a trend. You know, I really think that work is best done by whole people and healthy people and happy people because you don't spend as much time kicking against the walls. You don't spend as much time worrying about what other people's motives are. You can just do your work. And so to me, that's just so important. No, couldn't agree more. I think spend a lot of time at work. And the work that we do, and again, what every profession has its, you know, its contribution to the whole. And in this case, you know, our profession, the sales, uh, sales compensation, sales operations, the livelihood of our sales team, the livelihood of the whole business, frankly, if we don't enable the sales organization to operate, put a jeopardy to do that right. I think you have to bring your best self and your best self is, you know, being empathetic to the team, being happy and, and being fulfilled. Thank you for joining the show. I think a lot of great, just again, in the, in the, for the sake of kind of giving back the community and sharing, if yeah. people listening to the show wanted to reach out and get a hold of you to kind of get your feedback, what's the best way to, to do so? I'm super basic. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Well, no, thank you, Bethany. It's been uh, it's great chatting today. Thanks. Have a great one. The Sales Compensation Show is brought to you by Forma AI, the first sales compensation platform designed around the agile methodology of CompOps. To learn more about how Form AI can help design, execute, and optimize your sales comp strategy, visit forma.ai. Find us by searching for sales competition on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. On behalf of the team here at Form AI, thanks for listening.